As we come to the Lord's table tonight for observance of the Lord's Supper, I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 4. And we will read beginning in verse 1 there. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. This is not a typical Lord's Supper passage. It's not a passage we look at usually when coming to the Lord's table, but I hope we can make some other emphases tonight as we come to this table that I think are important in the days in which we are living. Hear the word of the Lord. And as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of men came to be about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes were gathered together in Jerusalem. And Ananias, the high priest, was there, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. And when they had placed them in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you uh, and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, by this name, this man stands before you in good health. But he is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which they must be saved. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. But when they had ordered them to leave the council, they began to confer with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that it will not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no longer to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking about what we have seen and what we've heard. And they threatened them further, and they let them go, finding no basis which to punish them on account of the people because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man, that is the one who was healed, was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. This is the word of the Lord. 
you know, as we read that, and you hear that taking place, two disciples, along with the rest of the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, are, are merely preaching and teaching the name of Christ. They, they see a man who is in need of a healing, and, and Christ through them brings about a healing. And this kind of thing's beginning to take place, and they're talking about Christ and the resurrection and, and all of that, and, and the authorities drag them in and arrest them and tell them, you cannot speak, you cannot teach, you cannot proclaim this name. They wouldn't even say the name, Jesus. They just said the name. You can't do that any longer. You know, when we read that, putting aside the fact that it was 2,000 years ago, that just seems like an extremely foreign thing to us, doesn't it? I would dare say, I could ask for a show of hands, but I don't think anybody would raise their hand. How many of us, how many of you, have been at any time in the last week or two or in the last 25 years, in the last, in your lifetime, been drawn before, called before authorities, thrown in jail, and left there overnight because you carried on the crime of talking about Jesus Christ? None of us have. It, do, it just doesn't happen. We live in a, a land of religious freedom. We live in a land of, uh, of freedom to practice religion and, and, and proclaim Christ and meet here to worship around this Lord's table anytime we want to. And we do it on a regular basis. And, and I don't stand up here in fear, at least not yet, that somebody's going to come crashing through that back door and say, what you are preaching is not acceptable. You must stop now. I just don't. I, I've never come into this pulpit fearing that that was going to happen. And I don't think you've ever sat in these, these chairs thinking that maybe tonight or maybe this morning might be the time when we're finally arrested because of our faith. We, we just, we've had it so easy. We, 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 we can't identify with, with, with Peter and John and the rest of the apostles. We can't identify with that 2,000 years ago. The authorities say, don't even speak the name. Don't use the name. Don't teach in this name. It's just a foreign thing. But it's not so everywhere in our world, even today in the 21st century. Right now, while we're here, she's probably sleeping right now because it's late night there, but my oldest daughter, Carol Beth, is with a group of Christians, 4,000 at a conference, and no telling how many others that are supporting it and involved in it as she is. She's not a conference attendee. She's working her company is working on a track over there over in, in South Africa, in Cape Town, South Africa, at the Lausanne Conference or co uh, Congress on World Evangelism. And, and 4,000 Christians have been invited from all over the world, every nation, to come and meet there and talk about faith, talk about truth, talk about the challenge of relativism, talk about all the things that are challenging the church today. And they're meeting there in Cape Town, South Africa, to hear men preach and teach and prepare them to go back into their land, back into their country, uh, to share the gospel, some of which will find it very difficult when they go back. I was interested to find out that last Sunday, uh, while you were here worshiping, well, I guess, again, the time difference has made it a little different time, but imagine that it was while you were here worshiping in all the freedom and everything, there were a 100 Chinese Christians 
who had been invited to come to Lausanne and participate in the uh, Lausanne 2010. And everything was going all right, and everything was in the mood. They bought their tickets. They had all their travel documents ready. They had their passports ready. And when they got to the airport, to passport control at the international airports they were flying out of, they found themselves stopped by the governmental authorities, and their documents, their passports, and other documents confiscated by the police. Uh, one person, uh, Lu Guan, who was coming, a 36-year-old Protestant evangelical leader, he said, they said it's illegal to attend this conference, and they sent me home. Their explanation was, it's for your own good that we're not letting you go. Uh, China has a policy whereby, in their constitution, they have a, a religious freedom statement. The only thing is, it's religious freedom as long as it's within the sanctioned church of the government. You can do anything you want to do. You worship all you want to, as long as you're doing it in the confines of a church that is sanctioned by, ordained by, and set up by the government. The thing is, there are millions of Christians, some even say tens of millions of Christians, who don't worship in the, in the sanctioned church, which is called, interestingly enough, the the, the uh Three self-patriotic movement. That's an interesting name for a church. The three self-patriotic movement. They also have a Catholic group that's known as the Chinese Patriotic Catholic Association. But those are set up by, sanctioned by the church. And they experience many of the same things like Peter and, and John did here in Acts chapter 4 when it comes to proclaiming the name of Christ. Uh, back in July... The invitations have been sent out, and this was by invitation only. Uh, the invitations were sent out to the Chinese. Red and I, when we were in Orlando in June for the Southern Baptist Convention, we went to a meeting of the Lausanne group that uh, had a thing parallel to, but apart from the Southern Baptist Convention. We went to a dinner, and one of the things they were doing, they were asking for donations to help pay the expenses of Christians in China, Vietnam, and other countries that were controlled by communist regimes, that they could afford to come and be a part of this conference. And, and they raised a lot of money to do that and bought these tickets. But beginning in July, Chinese officials began to individually contact every Chinese citizen who had been invited and started pressuring them not to attend, uh, some of the church leaders indicated. Some had to give up their passports then. Some suffered government reprisals against their churches, and some were detained, the letter said. Most were turned away at airport passport checkpoint, control checkpoints, however, according to the letter. This series of blocking actions violated the right of religious freedom as spelled out in the Chinese Constitution, they claim. Mr. Liu, uh, the Beijing evangelical, evangelical leader, and a half dozen police officers and government officials said that a half dozen police officers and government officials met him and four other Chinese Christians at the Beijing airport about an hour before their Sunday flight was scheduled aboard. He said that his passport was confiscated and that he was ordered not to speak to any foreign media. A 25-year-old Beijing education worker who's also a Christian who was going, who asked to be identified only by his English name of David, uh, because, in order not to call attention to his church, was sent home along with Mr. Liu. He said the letter demanded a written explanation, he sent a letter and demanded a written explanation of why his passport was seized. 
the letter you see back from the government was very brief, he said. It stated that he had volunteered to give his passport to the police. Yeah. Coerced volunteerism is what it's called. But the point I want to make is we meet here freely. We meet here without fear of reprisal. We meet here without fear of arrest or any kind of persecution. And we have brothers and sisters around the world who are this very day worshiping and serving Christ who don't know what tomorrow will bring, who have no idea. You know, when, when, in the, when the communists took over in China, there were about a million known Christians at that time that the missionaries had worked with and, and ministered to and, and led to Christ. And, and, and all of our missionaries were thrown out of China, every one of them. And for 50 years, there was no window to look into China. There was no way to see what was going on in China. And everybody assumed here in the United States, of course, I guess we assume that anybody who can't have help from us is just in a real fix, but everybody assumed that uh, when we got, went back into China, we would find that there were no Christians. They had all either been killed or they had all abdicated the faith or they had all had something happen to them, but there'd be no churches, there'd be no Christians. When we finally got back in, in the early 1990s, to get a real picture of what was taking place, and they started just going from city to city, checking and f to find out what was there. They found out, they estimated, there was no way to take a census of it exactly, but they estimated that there were almost 100 million Christians. In 50 years, it had gone from a million to 100 million in a, in a time when there were no missionaries to help them. There was no government appreciation for it. There was no government license to, to practice your faith, to trust Christ, to, to Bible study, to celebrating the Lord's Supper, to worshiping together. But yet, they went back in and they found that the church under persecution, the church under pressure, the church where many of their leaders that the missionaries had worked with had indeed been killed because of their faith. That the church under that kind of situation had exploded and was filled with men and women who were committed not culturally, not socially, not conveniently, but who were committed to Jesus Christ alone. Committed to faith in Christ alone knowing that there could be reprisal, knowing that there could be, could be ramifications that are not real positive for that faith and for that trust. But they grew, they expanded. The Church of the United States has had somewhat of a, and in Europe, uh, a different story. Religious freedom has abounded. Oh, sure, go worship, do whatever you want to do. And, and because of that, it's been real easy we don't understand what Peter and John were going through. We don't understand what it means to be brought before the authorities and saying, listen, do not speak in this name. I wonder what would happen if, it did, if that did happen. No doubt there would be some who would say, okay, okay, no problem, okay. 
There's some who'd say, it's just not worth the hassle. We'll go live in our own little private world, and we'll, we'll just worship by ourselves, and, and we won't worry about church. We won't worry about ministry. We won't worry about speaking. We won't worry about teaching. We'll just withdraw. There would be others who would be strengthened because of the pressure, just as it was in China. We live in a day when around this globe, the church has either suffered persecution and exploded or it suffered ease and has dwindled to a cultural mishmash of casual Christianity. That's good for an hour or two, one day a week, but which never fully, fully engages life. Peter and John said, listen, we don't know about you. You can do what you want to do, and you can decide what's right for you, but as for us, we must speak in this name. We, we know that there's no other name by which anyone can be saved except the name of Christ. No other name under heaven has been given among men by which we must be saved. The name of Christ, the name of Jesus Christ, is more than just two words. It's the essence of the gospel. The gospel is the essence of salvation. That's what Paul said in Romans chapter 1. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God whereby men will be saved. For the Jew first, then the Gentile. To the Jew first, then to the Gentile. And the gospel is Jesus Christ. He started out Romans 1 by saying that this is about Christ, the one who was sent from God, the very Son of God, who is the Redeemer. What I want us to think about tonight as we come to this table is a, yes, I want us to pray about our brothers and sisters around this globe who are undergoing persecution that we can't even identify with. I want us to pray for a hundred Chinese Christians who were forbidden to go to South Africa, to Lausanne 2010. I want us to pray that God will use them and even that resistance by their government to, to faithfully preach the gospel and continue to evangelize right there in China. And, and I want us to pray for the delegates who are there at the Lausanne Conference or Congress in, in, in South Africa. Pray for my daughter. The ladies' Bible study last Tuesday prayed for her. She left on Thursday, and they, they dealt with the prayer. They prayed for her the whole way, and, and we appreciated that. Pray now that God will use that time to energize a group of believers. Now, she left on Tuesday. I said Thursday, Tuesday. We'll energize 4,000 minus 100 delegates who are believers from every nation on the earth to go back with a new commitment to evangelism and missions and as we pray for them to go and do that, pray for ourselves that God will make us conscious of the suffering church 
in many parts of the world where Christians are arrested and Christians are killed on a daily basis for no other crime than they believe in Jesus Christ. No other, no other offense than if they dare say Jesus Christ is Lord. And pray that we will have the boldness and the conviction of truth to be able to make that same stand should the day come. Because it, it is coming. When you hear our politicians start talking about we, have, we believe in freedom of worship in America. Let me tell you something. That is a subtle but very important distinction. We don't believe in just freedom of worship. We believe in freedom of religion. It's a great difference. Freedom of worship is a very privatized thing. You can go do that in your closet somewhere. You have freedom to do that. Freedom of religion is for it to be public and bold. And we need to be public and we need to be bold with our faith and our proclamation that Jesus Christ is Lord. We come to this table, his table, to remember his death his burial, and his resurrection, to remember his body that was given on the cross in our place, his blood that was spilled to establish the new covenant we've been talking about on Sunday mornings, whereby we can know God, have our sins forgiven, and have his spirit within us, his law written upon our hearts and our minds, internalized by the work of the Holy Spirit. Let's prepare our hearts and our minds for this meal. If you would, bow your heads, begin to pray, begin to examine, begin to ask the Lord to show you areas of your life that, that you need to deal with and confess. Deacons are going to serve, begin to come on forward.